fire. There's some sheep and goats in the corner of the house, in the stable. The families have gathered together and they have, they've come in through, they've, they've, they've said the Shema, they've come into the house and they've gathered together to worship Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus. They're part of the way. They're part of this small band of brotherhood and sisterhood who have had an encounter with Jesus Christ. They're inside their house. They know that their neighbors might be watching and that they know that they could be in danger because there's been a decree put out by the Sanhedrin, the governing court of the day. Imagine yourself inside the house. You're singing some hymns, spiritual songs. You're gathering together for worship. You're taking communion together. You're remembering the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And instantly the door swings open. And all mayhem breaks loose and you're taken away. Separated from your family, separated from your friends, separated from your brothers and sisters, and taken to prison. That's really what's going on in Acts chapter 8, if you want to follow along. Acts chapter 8, we're told that after the stoning of Stephen... It says this, on that day, the day after the stoning of Jesus, or stoning of Stephen, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, and they mourned deeply for him. So he began, so Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Keith, could you turn down my mic a little bit? Thanks. Do you hear a reverb? Is that better? Okay, good. See, it's interesting that Acts chapter 8 kind of takes a hiatus. And it's interesting because you'll never find another place, probably in the Bible, where someone is giving a first-hand account full knowledge of what's going on. Maybe Matthew, maybe John, and now we see here that Paul is actually giving a first-hand account. He's giving his own testimony of how his life was transformed by Jesus Christ. And what what does he go back to thinking as he dictates this to Luke? He says, I was a persecutor of the church. I was the man who went into those homes and dragged those people away. I'm the one who took them to prison. And it's interesting that God, in his own divine wisdom, gives a revelation to a man who needs it. And I want to I share with you that we're going to move on. But I want to, I before we do this, realize and make you realize that this is no different than what's going on in the world today. This summer I had the great privilege of... of speaking at Refuel up in Fockabers, and I was there, and we were inside, and I spoke for Open Doors, and I spoke for Tear Fund, and I, and I had the great privilege of meeting this man, Timothy Cho. Timothy actually uh, escaped twice from North Korea, only to go into China, only to get caught and sent back into North Korea, and he shared his story 
about what he had to go through continuously as the Chinese government actually decided that they were going to send anybody who came in from North Korea back. Timothy is a godly man. He's spoken at the UN. He was at Westminster this last week. And he loves Jesus Christ. He's been transformed by Jesus. And he's now speaking on behalf of those who are persecuted in North Korea and throughout the world. He's got a voice into, the, into this realm. And it's important that each of us recognize that we have voices into this realm as well as we petition and as we pray for our brothers and sisters who are caught. Now, how many are caught? Open Doors said that at least 360 million Christians, 360, how many? Million. million experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. That's a lot of people, isn't it, in a year? 20 million higher than 2021. What does that say to you? It says that even in our day, the church is what? Being persecuted. And more so than ever, being ramped up to be persecuted. And this is happening in many nations. The group also estimated that a number of Christians killed for their faith rose to 5898. 5,000 people laid down their lives because they would not relinquish their faith. They died as martyrs for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's up. And I, I suspect that it's going to be even up this year in comparison to the, what it was last year. As we finally recognize how many people, even in Ukraine, have laid down their life for their faith in the midst of a war. Those in the Middle East who've laid down their life for their faith in the midst of a war. And that's just two nations. Churches who have been attacked. 5,000 of our brothers and sisters' churches have been attacked this year. And that's just open doors. That's what we know of. They've been closed or attacked. Many in Africa, many in various places have been attacked. Christians arrested without trial and imprisoned, 6,000. And I suspect that that's actually a very small number when we compare Iran and what's going on with the women in Iran and what's going on in Evan Prison. I would suspect this is a much higher number than we even know of thinking of Hong Kong and the various displays that have gone on there as well. How about Christians kidnapped? 3,829. These are not small numbers, are they? Well, maybe. But 360 million is not a small number in the world. And our brothers and our sisters need us. Now I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9, and I'm going to start in the first verse. I'm going to read through, um, but I'm going to actually teach while I'm reading through. So if you've got your Bibles, please, if you need a Bible, there's Holy Bibles right over there. Um, Rod, just raise your hand if you really want a Bible and you want to follow along. Obviously, you noticed that ProPresenter decided it wanted to take over our computers today, so there won't be a reading up on the screen. But if you want a Bible and you want to follow along, please grab a Bible.
Verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Now he's been taking people into prison. Now he still is breathing out murderous threats. Threats literally mean he's become a menace to the church. He's been a menace against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked for letters in the synagogue in Damascus so that he, if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way is literally the name of the early church. It is Christianity. They're not known as Christians until Antioch, but at this point in time, they're known as the way. They are on a path, literally, in which they follow the Lord. You can either be on a narrow road or a what? Wide road. These people are on the path. Whether men or women, he might take them into prison to Jerusalem. And we're told that as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and a voice said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Do you think it sounded like that? Who are you, Lord? Who are you? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. Then traveling with Saul, stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into, to, to Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. Let me make a claim to you on this one. Saul was way, way more spiritually blind. He was spiritually blind long before he had a physical blindness. How many of you realize that in life? People are spiritually blind. They do not see. They war against God. The Bible tells us, and even Jesus tells us, that we stand in enmity with God. We, we, we war against Him until we are spiritually awakened. Can I get an amen? And it's there that we see that He stands up and He's lost. He's put into His own prison, His own type of prison. He's made a prison of His own. What you sow, you reap. What you've taken, now you are caught. And He cannot see. He's blind. We're told that he immediately goes into fasting. He did not eat or drink anything. As a good Jew who had an encounter with God, he would immediately go right into that place of wondering, what has happened to me? Can you imagine how he must have felt? He's stuck. He's in his own prison, but he's waiting because Jesus said to him, I'm going to tell you what you must do, but you have to wait. How many of you have to wait? How many times has God spoken to us, and yet we don't know the full answer? We don't know the full revelation, and we have to what? Wait. Do you take courage? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength Is in those moments. Is that your banner verse when you're going through something? See, he's stuck. And we're told that for three days he was blind, he does not eat, he does not drink, but the story doesn't end there. 
Because God is a God who is gracious. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of restoration. God is a God of love. God is a God of putting everything that we fail at back together. Can I get an amen, please? This is the glory of being a Christian, that we get God. And that He loves us. And He loved Saul. He loved Saul, even in the midst of Saul standing over and giving approval for the stoning of Stephen, God knew. How many people right now of those statistics that we have seen, is God starting to work on those people who guard them? How many of them does God want to redeem? He does. Notice what happens. There's a disciple named Ananias. We know this story well. And the Lord called to him in a vision. And the, the Greek word is real interesting because it, it literally says, he called him to see spiritually. Do you realize as a Christian, your calling is to hear from the Lord and see spiritually? We don't see as the world sees. We see as the Spirit leads and guides us to see. He, and that's what the word is literally here, vision. See spiritually. How many of you want to see spiritually? I do. I would rather see spiritually than sometimes naturally. Can I get an amen? I don't know if you watch BBC lately, but I would much rather see spiritually than naturally. And what does Ananias say? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Very specific. Sometimes the Lord speaks to us very specifically and he tells you to do something. And, and the goal for that is what we're going to see in the text here in a brief moment. And he, and he says to him, I want you to go to Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. What is, what is he doing in prison? Praying. Is he praying? He's seeking the, the God of the universe who has now blinded him and asking the question, Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? In a vision, once again, to see spiritually, same exact Greek word, he was a man... He, he has seen a man named Ananias come to a place, his hands on him, and restore his sight. In a vision, do you realize something? Even if you've walked away from the Lord, even if you're persecuting Christians, even if you, if, you have, if you have found yourself in a place where you're distant from God, and that's exactly where Saul was, God still pursues you. And he will even give you an unction, a spiritual vision to understand what his calling is for you. This is why we never give up on anybody. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm never giving up on you. I'm never giving up on you. Why? Because God doesn't give on, up, up on us. He doesn't. And, and it's interesting that he says this to, Paul, to Saul. He says, I want you to understand something. I'm not leaving you in the prison. I've got plans for you. And Ananias said, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and how much harm he's done to the saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority 
from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. The chief priest was the head of the Sanhedrin. He was the head of the government. It would be as if the first minister of Scotland, with all his authority and decree, said, I'd like you to go find all the Christians, and I want you to round them up. And he gave you a piece of paper, and he said, here's your, here's your decree. You go for it. You have all authority to do that. And, and Ananias is scared. Wouldn't you be? You're calling me to something hard, and I'm not sure I can do this. How many of you have been called to things that are hard? And you're not sure if you can do that. Well, guess what? God, God will give you the power to do it, and he'll give you the ability, and he'll give you the understanding to do it. But the Lord, said to, but the Lord then says to Ananias, even though you're worried about the, the authorities and the chief priests, Go. Go. If I could just say one thing. Go. What are you called to do as, as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Go. Go into all the nations and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and make them what? Disciples. Go. And then he says this. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings, and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Aren't you glad that God called Paul, Saul, I'm sorry, Saul, Paul, to be a believer? Aren't you glad? I mean, seriously, 17 books of the New Testament have his fingerprint on them. Are you happy about that? I don't know about you, but that's pretty amazing. One man's life transformed and the church was radically changed. How many of you are Gentiles? Raise your hand. You're all Gentiles, by the way, unless you are Jewish. You're all Gentiles. And all of you have been ushered into the kingdom because, what, Ananias obeyed God, trusted God at his word, and said, I'm going to go lay my hands on him. I'm going to pray over him and share with him. Then Ananias went to the house. He entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming has sent me so that you may see again their spiritual sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell off Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. All right. Do you see, do you see what's happened here? He was dead in his trespasses. He was spiritually blind, and that led to a physical blindness. In this instance, he's physically blind. The hands are laid upon him. He becomes spiritually blind, and the physical blindness goes away. Why? Because this is how God restores. He loves to touch people where they're at. He loves to meet them where they are. It was no mistake that he fasted and prayed for three days. 
Three is a very significant number in the Bible. Can I get an amen to that one? We have God the Father, we have God the Son, and we have God the Holy Spirit. And God, I can only imagine, while he's sitting in Straight Street in this house, blind with scales on his eyes, unable to see, God is making known to him, while he prays, the revelation of the Son. The revelation of who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob really is. The revelation of what the Spirit can do in your life if you give your life to Him. Why is this passage important? Why is it important? Because today we celebrate communion. We celebrate the Lord. And I want to read to you something that we don't often read when we come to the table of the Lord or when we, when we go before the Lord. And this is where God wants to meet us because he met Saul in that place where Saul had been a murderer. He'd been a killer. He'd done incredibly terrible things. He'd put people in prison and yet God was able to come to this man and now this man writes this to us. I received from the Lord what I pass on to you. And I want to read the whole passage. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. We know this very well. This has become part of our process of communion in the church. He gives thanks. He broke it. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do do this, and whatever you drink in remembrance of me, whatever you eat this, whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But that's only portion of it. Therefore, he comes to a very serious point in our walk. It's just not a, it is a celebration, but it's a celebration tailored around the death, burial, and resurrection of God. Jesus Christ laid down his life on the cross so that we might have life and understand it to the full. And that should transform the way we deal with everything. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And then he says this in verse 28, um, a man or a woman ought to examine themselves before they drink the cup and eat the bread. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing, without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on themselves. See, the Lord is calling you into a place of dependence and love for Him. This is a table that we often say is an open table, but it's a family table. It's a table in which the family are drawn into a place. And we all eat together, and we we share together, and we remember what he has done for us. And I love what he says a little bit further. He says this, when, he he said, if we're judged, we should come under judgment. But he said, we should just examine our own selves. So when we come here, and when the elements are taken to you, bring yourself before God. And if you, are, if you are in need of the Holy Spirit, ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you. If you are in need of forgiveness, 
Ask God to forgive you. If you are in need of more revelation of who God is, ask Him. Because He wants to give to you everything that Jesus paid for on the cross so that you might live abundantly, passionately, no longer taking prisoners, but actually declaring freedom to the captive. When you come together, not if you come together, not randomly, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. So we're going to pass out the elements, and I want you to hold them in your hand, and I want you to take that moment. Shoni's going to play for us some very calming music. What I would like you to do is just hold the elements, and if I can, if, if I can just say this, hold the elements until we're all have had the elements. And he, and he says this, we'll eat together. And, and, if, and if anyone is hungry, if anybody's hungry, isn't it funny he says, eat at home. I don't know about you, but I'm hungry. But I'm not going to eat at home today. I'm going to eat here. Because this is Life. So I'm going to ask the elders, if you can, come forward and, and gather up the elements. We're going to distribute the elements. Shoni, if I can ask you to play. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he handed out the bread and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Distributing this, he overcame death because he was the Passover lamb. He was the one who would be broken for you so that you might have life. And on the same night, he handed out the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant that I give to you in my blood. We have, we have a great celebration at this point. We're going to take a few minutes to go before the Lord as we take this. Before we take it, just hold the elements together. We will all take together and celebrate the beauty of what God has done. <laughs> 